welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today, we're going to be talking about recruiting and hiring success. So recruiting and hiring in the service industries was already a hot topic and has become even more complicated with COVID um, being introduced this year. I'm excited to welcome today to the podcast, Bonnie Anderson, who is the Global Manager of Talent Acquisition and Future Talent at Tetra Pak. Bonnie has a lot of experience um, in the recruiting space and specifically recruiting um, at Tetra Pak for different roles specific to service delivery. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It's really great to be here. I'm excited to, to have you. So Bonnie is going to be sharing with us today in our discussion um, her four keys for recruiting success um, that she's learned during and, and I'm sure even before um, her time at Tetra Pak. And we're also going to talk about how COVID has changed the game when it comes to recruiting and hiring uh, this year. Um, so, Bonnie, before we dig in, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background and your role at Tetra Pak. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so um, today I'm, as you mentioned, the Global Manager of Future Talent and uh, Talent Acquisition at Tetra Pak. Um, I took this role at the beginning of, of 2020 and, and prior um, prior to this role uh, and from 2015, I was, um, I've, I've been recruiting service engineers at Tetra Pak. Um, I am originally from Australia. Um, I've spent um, about eight years in the UK um, and came to the US in, I think, oh, 2013 now. Um, but I, I started my HR career and, and started in, in the recruitment space uh, from 2008. Um, so um, have uh, have really enjoyed. Um, I love talent acquisition. It's it's a, a real pa- passion of mine, and and I've found a real niche in, in recruiting um, highly skilled engineering type roles. So really enjoy that that piece of my work too. Yes. And at Tetra Pak, um, you know, this is something you're doing on a global level, right? So it gives you an interesting perspective because you can can kind of pick up on these trends in challenges, trends and commonalities or differences from country to country, region to region. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, when I when I first started at, at Tetra Pak and up until the end of end of um, last year, my uh, my my geographical scope was really U.S. and Canada um, mm-hmm. recruiting for for service engineers with a, a little bit. Um, uh, kind of in in Central and and South America, but um, but now I, I do have a global um, global role and um, have uh, and work with the teams across across the globe in in the different regions. And I can tell you that uh, service engineering recruitment um, is difficult across the world. It's not yes, just specific yes. to our region, right? Actually. And that's what I was getting at. You know, yeah. you have that perspective of of how this is challenging mm-hmm. um, at the global level, not Absolutely. just. Uh, here specifically. Um, And I'm excited to have you, Bonnie, because, you know, I shared with you a bit when we connected that that this is a this is has been a a very big topic among our listeners and our readership of our content um, for for quite a while. Right. So as we see, um, you know, a lot of the the workforce aging out and needing to be replaced this, you know, this is a bigger and bigger challenge. And there's a lot of layers to um, 
how the, the field technician role is evolving and what will that mean for the skills we need going forward? How is technology playing a role in, in what we may be able to, to automate or how service delivery is changing, et cetera. But the way that we have always discussed this topic on, on our podcast or within our content, and I've shared that with you, is from the perspective of service leaders not from the perspective of recruiters and folks responsible for talent acquisition and development. Um, so I think it'll be very interesting today to have this conversation with you and, and interesting for our, our um, service leaders, which is you know a huge portion of our listeners, to hear how a, a huge, huge company, a global company like Tetra Pak, um, is, is tackling this. So as I said, we're going to talk today about four key areas that companies need to consider or focus on if they're looking to improve their recruitment and hiring practices. Um, and, and, and I want you to walk us through each of those four things, what they mean and, and what your perspective and advice is. So the first is um, to understand that we've moved to a skills-based economy from an experience economy. And, and this is going to be tricky because some of these terms are also yes. terms used in, in service right. uh, content. And, and we're talking about something a little different here. So I want to make sure we take the time to explain it. So tell our listeners um, what this shift from a skills-based economy to an experience economy means in the recruitment world and how it would impact their practices. Yeah, and uh, it, you know when we talk about the skills-based economy, it's it's really a, a shift that we've we've we started seeing probably about five years ago, maybe a little bit longer. But um, the the trend is really here to stay, and I think it's just going to continue to become more skills-oriented as we go through. And um, you know these are. Skills are really, at the end of the day, what we what we look for and what we develop in ourselves um, to make ourselves more employable, I suppose. Um, and where in the past we've kind of used qualifications and experience as kind of a proxy for identifying somebody with hard or soft skills, there's been an underlying assumption there that if a candidate has X degree or Y experience, then they have A, B, and C skills. Mm-hmm. Now with uh, the, I guess, the way that information is available uh, um, at the moment, skills can be acquired in so many more different ways. Mm-hmm. It's not just about acquiring skills through a degree or through work experience. It can be skills acquired from, I don't know, just throwing it out there, something like YouTube, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> something mm-hmm. like a hobby, um, how uh, how somebody has grown up. So skills acquisition can come from just about any direction. And when we look at skills-based economy, it's it's shifting that mindset that a candidate needs to have um, a certain background to be able to fill a position. Mm-hmm. So, and, and having uh, having an experience based um, uh, or, or experience based assumption has limited talent pools for mm-hmm. employers, um, particularly for in demand and niche skills um, that are hard to find. So, by flipping that a little bit and saying, okay, well, actually a candidate might get a skill from somewhere else other than from their qualification or from their experience, you can you can find a whole talent population 
that might be untapped mm-hmm. or that you've never considered before. So, and and with that in mind, in today's world with digitalization and, and technology, we can actually um, use those tools at our disposal mm-hmm. to identify those skills faster and quicker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so uh, I want to want to give a shout out to um, my friend Roy Dockery, who from Swiss Log Healthcare. He was on our. Um, second podcast we ever recorded. And, and we talked about this topic. And, um, you know, I'm going to paraphrase a bit for Roy, but um, he kind of communicated um, the same message in a different way, again, from the, the service executive perspective, but basically saying, you know, when you hear people say we have a talent gap, his argument is we do not have a talent gap, we have an experience gap. And service organizations have become I don't know if this was his word, but I, I, I'll say it, lazy in in defaulting to wanting to hire based on experience because it's easier um, in the sense of, you know, kind of having that comfort level that they've done the job and, and you know, minimizing maybe training and, and um, you know, ramp up time, et cetera. But the reality is, um, particularly when we're talking about service, that ex- that experience pool is dwindling, right? And so, to if, if I'm understanding what you're saying, um, service organizations have to understand that continuing to hire based on experience is not um, a a realistic uh, path forward. We need to consider how how can you find similar skills and necessary skills to do the job um, without that that specific qualification. Yeah, right? and, and maybe creative. You, you have mm-hmm. to get creative, um, um, particularly, you know, pre, pre-COVID, and, and obviously COVID has had a significant impact on, on the um, employment market. But pre-COVID, you know, we had, um, I think, you know, less than 3% unemployment within STEM skills, mm-hmm. uh, within the STEM, STEM fields. And um, so we had a huge amount of pressure on finding the right the right skills that we needed um, in time to support our customers on the field. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, we had very long lead times and, and it took a long time um, to find those skills. And sometimes we would fail at the last hurdle. We thought we had a great candidate, but at, in the end, because they said they have the the experience or on paper, they have the experience and the qualifications that we think somebody needs to do this mm-hmm. job mm-hmm. at the end of the day at, at the final hurdle they don't have the skills um, that we're looking for so mm-hmm. you know that was a real gap that we that we had and that we had to close quickly um, mm-hmm. but but yeah I mean when when uh, an economy is as tight as it was in 2019 you have to find creative ways to mm-hmm. to get the talent that you need Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this question, Bonnie, for an organization that is still reliant on that experience economy, they're still, you know, working to hire based on experience. What's the biggest or the first step to shifting to a skills-based approach? Yeah, I think you have to start by challenging your assumptions um, and, and, and taking and and this is where it comes to and and we've talked about this a little bit around outcomes based um uh, recruitment and and how outcomes based hiring what was it about that education or experience 
that is the crux that mm-hmm. that you know that you need from that experience that is important for your role mm-hmm. and that is the skill that you want so you need to break right. break break it down in essence to mm-hmm. to un- uncover and discover the skills that is coming mm-hmm. out of that experience so so you said it very nicely you said um people need to start getting creative and so again you know, not trying to sound like a jerk, but I do think there's a parallel here of companies need to stop being lazy and or get comfortable having to work harder than they have historically to to find this talent by digging into in that experience that you're used to searching for. What is it actually that you need? Yes, exactly. Um, and where else can you find that? Yeah. Um, okay. Exactly. So, yeah. so that's a good point. And it's funny because like I said, you know, when you talk about the experience economy, there's a whole nother connotation of that term that is a positive thing in the service world in terms of um, moving toward an experience economy in terms of how you're servicing customers. So that's why I wanted to make sure we really were clear on why it's a bad thing related to recruiting different in the sense of you cannot continue to just search for talent based on who has had relevant experience. You need to really dig into what within that experience do you actually need and where else can you find it? Otherwise, yeah. you're, you're going to run out of um you know, yeah, and that's that's a very good point. And and to be clear, experience means somebody's background in history, their employment right, history, right. and their employment experience. The 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 experience of, for example, um, in in talent acquisition, we talk about candidate experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the journey that a candidate goes on, yeah. through the hiring process, and and I know you you would have a customer experience, mm-hmm. and and that's something that we're very passionate about at Tetra Pak. Um, so that they are different yeah. things. But just to give you an example of that, um, you you know, a a hiring manager might say to me, um, I need somebody with um, dairy experience. And that, you know, the dairy industry is um, a very close network. It's very Mm -hmm. specific to, to certain areas within the US. And so to break that down, you say, okay, what is it about the dairy industry that's important for your role? Why do they need to have dairy experience? Oh well, they need to know aseptic technology. They need to know um, they need to know uh, fluid dynamics. They need to know um, how um, how to separate the milk. And and then you start to break that down from something that's broad like the dairy mm-hmm. industry into specific skill sets. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's how you can you can take it from an experience based to a skills based mm-hmm. hiring process. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so the second key we're going to talk about um, also is parallel to another service term. So we're going to kind of go yes. through the same exercise <laughs> here of, of clarifying all of this, which is to use an outcomes-based approach to recruiting. So obviously in service, we also talk a lot about the trend toward outcomes-based service and, and delivering um, specific and often guaranteed outcomes to our customers instead of just, um, you know, time-stamped service uh, delivery. So, um, so let's talk about what outcomes-based um, approach means as it relates to recruiting and why it's important. Yeah. So, I, I mean, um, outcomes-based, uh, you know, could be a, another way of saying skills-based hiring, mm-hmm. right? But um, 
you know, when we talk about outcomes, it could mean so much more as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about the skills. It could also be um, kind of the, the potential that you might see in somebody. Mm-hmm. It might be um, also their communication. It could also be um, various um conditions around their employment, such as maybe where they're located or um, their availability to travel, um, which is super important in the service engineering world. Um, so it's, it's not just about skills, but also can encompass a little bit more. So that's that's why it's, it's important to have that differential because um, there are additional things that we look for when we look for candidates. Mm-hmm. But um, let me put it this way, I guess, when we talk about outcomes based, it's about knowing where you're going before starting out. And mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you've heard kind of that, that map analogy many times before, but if I was going to drive from New York to San Francisco, my ultimate outcome is to get to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's multiple ways that I can get get there right I can Mm -hmm. I can uh, fly I could take the train I could drive and then once you have that ultimate outcome you can start to to feed into uh, other certain parameters that you're looking for maybe you have a cousin in Nashville that you want to go and visit while you're on your journey maybe you want to go see the Great Lakes you've always had the Grand Canyon on your bucket list Mm -hmm. Um, so from, from that once once you've been able to understand what your outcomes are, then you can start to prioritize. And so maybe um, maybe it's really important that you go and see your cousin in Nashville because you haven't seen them in, in 10 years. So that becomes priority number one. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe um, the Great Lakes is you have a friend that you can visit while you go and see the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. The Grand Canyon might be able to just stay on your bucket list, right? <laughs> and that's for another day. So from there, you can determine, okay, maybe I take the South Route, uh, the North Route via 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 Tennessee. So, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to, to, to outcome-based hiring, then you start to lay out all the skills that you need, work with your recruiters to understand what that might be, and then you can prioritize those accordingly. Mm-hmm. The day of a jack of all trades is really doesn't exist anymore. So it's we we can't find a person that can do any, everything. Mm-hmm. As skills become more niche, more specialist, um, it's unrealistic to be able to find somebody that can do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this prioritization of skills, I think, becomes more and more important. And you can maybe take an 80-20 approach to that and say, well, if I can find somebody that has 80% of the skills that I'm looking for, I can compromise on those 20, 20% that mm-hmm. are uh, less important or, mm-hmm. or something like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of how I see outcomes based. Okay. So a couple of things I want to ask about one is, um, the outcomes though, are really looking at, um, what do we need to deliver to our customers? Right. I mean, that's where, where you're Absolutely. defining what the outcome is. So, so in, in your example, you know, the fact that you're going to San Francisco is dictated by what the customer need Absolutely. or expectation is, yeah. right? And the route you're taking to get there is the process of 
changing that thinking to the skills-based approach to determine what skills do you need to reach that yeah. destination? Am I, is that? Yeah. Yeah. And then another way you could think about it is, um, you know, if, if we, if we think about it as, as a customer, um, and, and a customer oriented position, um, perhaps, um, and, and I'm going to talk more about it in the Tetra Pak world, perhaps we have a, have a customer, for example, in, um, in Philadelphia, and they might have um, a lot of our packaging equipment on there that needs, uh, uh, needs servicing. And so we, we don't have um, necessarily, um, it's a new contract, so we need a new service engineer to be able to service that contract. Um, but then we have another customer perhaps in, in Pittsburgh um, where there is already a service engineer. They, um, they're more of a processing equipment um, the customer. So the, their equipment is slightly different. Um, the outcomes there is, okay, our, our customers here, one in Pittsburgh and one in, in Philadelphia, have two different needs can that engineer at, in Pittsburgh service that customer in Philadelphia? Mm-hmm. Well, we need to look at the skills set mm-hmm. of that engineer. Maybe they can, but maybe there's some gap in knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I guess it comes around to resource planning ultimately mm-hmm. and and whether the resources that you have can fill the needs of that customer. And, um, and if they don't, then what are your other options to, to servicing that customer? You mm-hmm. can recruit somebody in, um, you can perhaps shift some resource planning around, or you can have somebody that um, already services another packaging customer in Texas, for example, fly to, mm-hmm. fly to Pennsylvania to do that. Um, so really, it, it, and it's where you start to get creative, right? <laughs> where you start to think about, okay, what are the outcomes that I need for this particular customer and how can I fill those needs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a, a couple comments I just want to make related to mm. these first two um, two points, because I think that, you know, this is, is really... Um, important insight, but I think it's also, we're at a point where we need to be looking forward. And I think particularly when we talk about taking an outcomes-based approach to hiring, you know, part of that is um, you need to be thinking about how those outcomes are changing, right? So, so Bonnie, you and I were introduced by, by Sasha, right? At Tetra Pak, who runs uh, Industry 4.0. Um, and and Sasha's um, role is really around this new way of serving Tetra Pak customers, right? And so, you know, um, yes, you guys have been doing that now for a few years, but it's relatively new and it's rapidly evolving, right? So there are outcomes that are new to Tetra Pak um, needing to meet yeah. that didn't exist before. And there are roles that have to be introduced that didn't exist before and therefore skills needed that that weren't needed before. So, you know, I, I just think it's interesting, like this advice is is super applicable to present day, right? And just, I guess I think of it almost in terms of catching up with the times, right? For, for a lot of organizations that are very accustomed to being able to hire based on experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of have to catch up with the fact that um, it's not really, you know, a, a good strategy at this point. 
But it's also important to think about how you take these, these practices and apply them to the future of this industry, which is really rapidly evolving. Absolutely. Um, so, so I just think it's, you know, this idea of looking at, you know, not only what are the outcomes we need to deliver to our customers right this moment, and how do we work backwards from there and what skills we need, but also, you know, what are those outcomes going to look like um, six months from now or a year from now? And, and how do we start planning for that? Right? Yeah. And, and, um, and it's really interesting, because, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's it's a strategy that we at Tetrapack have had since 2017 when we fir- mm-hmm. first launched our graduate development program, mm-hmm. Future Talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not necessarily about future proofing um, because I think that's impossible, but mm-hmm. perhaps future preparing. Yes. Um, and and particularly for for skills that haven't been invented yet. Um, mm-hmm. We don't know what the future holds. I mean, look at this year; <laughs> we've been completely derailed because sure. we weren't prepared for it. Um, and uh, you know. We, we don't know what the future jobs will be. And so it's really important, I think, for organizations to have a long-term strategy um, to make sure we have the talent that mm-hmm. can develop those skills. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that new generation will be inventing new technologies and mm-hmm. inventing those skills along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, our future talent program is is really pivotal to ensuring mm-hmm. that we have what we need um, to prepare yeah. for the future. So yeah, it's it's something that I think keeps a lot of us <laughs> up at night in terms of what yeah. the future might hold and and um, you know what what happens to our own skills and how do we keep developing our own skills to keep right. up with with the new generations. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's important for the. And, and we didn't, maybe, perhaps I'll have you back on to talk about this because we didn't even touch on this in, in our introductory mm-hmm. chat, you and I, but, you know, there is this whole topic too of as, um, as the service technician's role changes, how can you reskill and upskill um, some of those folks to these new, you know, maybe almost customer service or human touch more oriented um, service positions? So, that's an interesting topic too. When you look at this um, future preparing strategy is not only how do you bring in the new talent um, that you'll need, but how do you reshape some of the existent talent, existing talent you have whose roles are changing in a way that, that works for them and, you know, the, the company yeah, as well. Absolutely. It's so much more than just the hard skills, isn't it? That'll absolutely. be another good, uh, yeah. <laughs> a good topic. Um, okay. And, and we are going to get to um, the future talent program because I think that's a very important thing, but, but before we do, let's um, let's talk about the third key or the third area, which is, um, ensuring clear expectations and clear communication on all ends of the recruiting and hiring process. So talk a bit about how, you know, mismanaged expectations or communication breakdowns can occur and how, you know, you can, can really work on streamlining that. Yeah. I mean, um, it, there came a point in, in, um, the recruitment of, of service engineers where, we, we just weren't able to find the right talent. We were taking too long. Um, it, it was very difficult and, and clearly something wasn't working and or multiple things weren't working. And, and we actually, um, 
I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with with all the types of problem solving methodology that are out there. Um, but we we use some within HR at Tetra Pak as well. Um, and so we we utilized um, some problem solving methodology like 5W2Hs, Fishbone, to really get um, to the root cause of the problems um, and working directly with our team leaders, um, our service engineer team leaders on on those problems. Um, And one of the highest occurring root causes was around communication and the relationship that we had um, between the recruitment teams and the hiring managers. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, Ultimately, what we did is we just laid it all out on the table um, and we really went through kind of a storming phase of um, just just putting it all out there. Um, mm-hmm. The difficulties that we have, um, both sides of the table, because it's mm-hmm. it's not just one person <laughs> or, or one right. team that, that has the problem, but, but both sides. And so we came up with a number of different strategies and it was really, um, really exciting because not only were we able to come up with some really great actions, but we came together better as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, from um, some, some of the solutions that we had was, you know, from group messaging, group chats, we, we implemented a, a WhatsApp group, you know, just something simple like that. Mm-hmm. Um having group accountability so making sure that everybody was accountable for um their their actions and also at the time you know we we had in-person um assessments that uh required um travel from the candidates because of course the candidates can be anywhere in the Mm -hmm. u.s and also our our team leaders which are based all over the u.s as well Mm -hmm. so the logistics of getting everybody in the same room at the same time was quite frankly a nightmare and so we had to um to make sure that we had commitment from the business to get everybody in the room. Mm-hmm. And following that, you know, things went a lot more smoothly. Of course, it was still difficult to find the talent, but I I, I cannot stress enough how important having an open and transparent communication channel with your recruiter or, or recruiters with the hiring managers and just being really honest about mm-hmm. what's going on. And recruiters need to bring their game as well. They need to bring their market knowledge, need to bring um you, you know the, the their knowledge of what's happening um and and so i think it, you know both sides need to take accountability and bring yeah what they need to yeah well and as you said earlier you know particularly when we talked about this idea of moving to the skills based economy mm-hmm. um it is a big mindset shift and it is a big change in in how you know these these service leaders are used to hiring and yeah. so um, you know, anytime you're talking about a significant change uh, in in how things are done, you know, you see some resistance to that, and and you see how important communication is, and Absolutely. and explaining, you know, the why behind, you know, here's why this is necessary, and you know, those sorts of things. Right. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So you you talked a little bit earlier about Tetra Pak's Future Talent Program, and I think this is um, this is our our fourth uh, key. Um, and it's a very important one because, you know, um, if you're moving away from the experience economy and you're and you're moving to the skills based economy mm-hmm. uh, when it relates to hiring, um, you know, how do you take those skills that, you know, are important and, and make sure that they're, um, you know, leveraged in the right way and, and harnessed uh, toward the outcome you're trying to achieve, et cetera. So 
So tell us a bit about the the Future Talent program. Yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned, um, Future Talent is really our graduate development program um, designed for for graduates, um, brand new graduates um, coming out of of university um, and um, for us to build our long-term strategy in in developing that new talent. Um, We we essentially have two tracks. We have uh, what we call a leadership track, um, which tends to be more towards kind of commercial roles or um, uh, management development type roles. Um, but we also have one thing that we really identified uh, when we were developing the program um, was that uh, we do have a skills gap between um, between industry and, um, and, and the skills that we require in the organization. Mm-hmm. So the technical track is really there to help us close that skills gap. Um, and so we don't really expect um, those graduates to have the skills that mm-hmm. they might need, um, mm-hmm. that we might look for in somebody that does have experience. Um, but we do look for potential, you know, how willing they are to learn, how quick they are to learn. And the program is really then to expedite that learning mm-hmm. um, so they can pick up those those skills very, very quickly, um, particularly specialist skills um, mm-hmm. that we look for. And service, um, the service engineering profile uh, um, is a huge component of that technical track. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really important to us. And and like I said earlier, um, we're future preparing, I suppose, for mm-hmm. skills that we don't really know we, we need yet. So. And I asked you when we spoke last, you know, how common is a program like this? And I think you said um, that from a leadership perspective, the leadership side of it, it's fairly common from the um, techn- or the the technician side, more of the engineering side, it's not as common. Is it? Is yeah, am correct. I remembering yeah, that that's right. Okay. I think somebody had quoted quoted um, to me at one point that maybe IKEA maybe accept four or five um, graduates per year globally into a leadership type graduate development program. You know, we're we're accepting um, you know eight to ten technical track graduates within the U.S. alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we're, we're investing a lot of time um, and um, we're, we're truly committed to this type of program um, in helping us prepare for the future and that long-term strategy that we need to have. Yeah. And it, I mean, it seems to me like um, like this is is a path folks need to be taking. I mean, it seems to me that that when you talk about this idea of getting away from being able to hire on experience and you talk about, you know, um, evolving uh, customer expectations and how do we meet those, you know, it, it seems like to to be able to nurture um, the the volume of and level of of talent you need to have in a service organization. You know, you have to take a more hands on approach um, in in making that, like you said, closing that gap, closing the gap, and that and that's really a big part of what it's about. Particularly if if um, you pride yourself of being at the forefront of technology, mm-hmm. um, because you might not necessarily find that talent um, with with your competitor. Uh, companies. Um, So you really have to invest, um, invest your, your time to 
to get the talent that you need to have that competitive advantage. And I think that's really, at the end of the day, what's really, really important um, uh, for, for, for organizations to consider is mm-hmm. how can you use talent to find your competitive edge? Right, right. Okay, um, so four very important areas and, and really good insight. Um, and so, so great. So you, you've learned these things and you're plugging along and, um, and then, uh, everything changes because COVID hits. Um, so, so tell us, you know, what impact COVID had on the recruiting and hiring process, um, how Tetra Pak has adapted and, you know, what you think the lasting change of, of that yeah. will be. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It was never in our mind that we, we had to stop or halt recruitment. Um, we, we always had the mindset of, we have to make this work mm-hmm. at the end of the day, our customers need to operate particularly, you know, they're at the forefront of food security. So we need mm-hmm. to continue to service, to be able to service our customers. So there's never any question that we, we had to stop or that we couldn't make it happen. We, we had to make, we had to continue hiring. Mm-hmm. And um, on, on the service engineer side, we, we'd utilized um, uh, an in-person assessment. And I touched on earlier, something that we had to logistically arrange on a regular basis. Um, and it wasn't it's not something we had considered changing because it, it really worked, worked very well. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I think in in, in March, um, we had something like 200 candidates globally that needed mm-hmm. to be assessed and that were in our pipeline that needed to go through this assessment, um, interviews and exercises. Um, and so we had to move really fast um, and, and um, adjust very quickly mm-hmm. um, to be able to con- for business continuity. Um, and this is where really the outcomes-based hiring really came into play because we were able to take that um, in-person assessment and those exercises and pull it apart and understand, okay, what is it from this exercise that we're looking to assess? Mm-hmm. What is it that the candidate needs to have for us to to move forward with them as a, as a candidate. Mm -hmm. I think we came up with something like 65 different outcomes from those exercises alone. Sometimes they were duplicated, you know, sometimes, you know, things like problem solving is came out time and time and again, Mm -hmm. mechanical knowledge, dealing with pressure, um, working, um, working with others, you know, those sort of outcomes were all part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we worked with, um, you know, so we, we knew that, we needed to somehow assess all of these outcomes in a virtual or digital way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of these exercises are with equipment, at, mm-hmm. you know, using candidates are using their hands to solve those problems. It's like, well, how do we do that in a digital way? And mm-hmm. so what we ultimately did is we worked with an assessment partner um, to help us identify um those different behaviors or those different um, the competencies and, and um, knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and we came up with some digital tools, some psychometrically valid tools that we mm-hmm. were able to use. Um, again, here we use the 80-20 rule. You know, it was okay that we, we weren't looking for a perfect solution. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be able to always measure 65 different outcomes 
the biggest one today is manual dexterity. I mean, how do you measure somebody's manual dexterity if you can't actually see them working with their hands? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, we we understood that risk and, and we're mitigating that risk through stronger onboarding, for example, um, mm-hmm. supporting those new hires. And um, last I counted, I think we're up to something like 65 different new hires through that digital process. And we've been able to continue um, supporting those, onboarding those those new hires um, across the world. So um, it was it was very uh, a very difficult time we worked with our mm-hmm. teams across the world to help us validate those outcomes um and um and we're still like keeping an eye on it to make sure that the outcomes are still valid mm-hmm. that the new hires that we're onboarding um are, are, are you know are performing as expected mm-hmm. um but we're very very hopeful um and think it's working well so you know, I think it's it it we challenged the status quo there, um, mm-hmm. and we were able to to switch into digital tools, um, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, where where the new normal comes in to play is, and and as the pandemic recedes, is about okay, how can we maybe continue with these digital tools, but building back in some of that human touch. Maybe mm-hmm. it's important for the candidate to see where they're going to be working, mm-hmm. to meet face-to-face. And we still recognise that that is a very important part of the candidate experience. Mm-hmm. And in some parts of the world, well, they have been able to open up some of the sites. And so we've we've built that back in as a hybrid process, mm-hmm. a digital plus in-person process. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. If you, I mean, I mean, I don't know if this is a fair question, but like, do you have a sense of, you know, the, the balance, like if it was a hundred percent in person before, do you think going forward, it will be, you know, 80% digital, 20% in person, or, or do you think you don't know that yet? Um, I think, I think. I think hiring managers are going to get comfortable with the speed of, of digital, using digital. And I think we've been able to break break down and demystify some of mm-hmm. that need of meeting mm-hmm. in person. Um, but it's not a one-size-fits-all, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that um, hiring managers um, continue to challenge some of those assumptions. But at the end of the day, if they do feel that they do need to ma- measure somebody's manual dexterity, if they have questions still around mm-hmm. how this person is using their hands, then it's important that they that we get the hire right and they invite them for an in-person interview to, right. to complete that gap in knowledge about that mm-hmm. candidate. Mm-hmm. So, um, so some hiring managers might feel 100% comfortable with making a hire using digital tools only, some are not. So mm-hmm. it's about find, striking that balance um, for that for that particular case. Of course, in 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 places like the US, we just cannot. Uh, our sites are closed um, right. apart from um, uh, critical um, personnel. Um, so mm-hmm. we really make sure that um, our hiring managers are comfortable with the with the hires, and we're exploring as much as we can using interview questions as well. So mm-hmm. it's a blended approach. But you, it, it is safe to say that COVID has definitely forever changed the yes, process, absolutely, and moved it in the digital direction. Yeah. 
Absolutely. No question. Yeah. Which is, you know, again, you know, there's a lot of parallels between this conversation and some of our, you know, service delivery conversations, right? I mean, you know, I, you see companies that um, have have had different levels of resistance to, um, you know, varying technologies that that by force, like you said, had to, to challenge the status quo and adopt. And now, you know, it, it's just kind of that realization of, okay, you know, this, this could work. And, and let's look at, at how we make it work when we have to make it work and how we incorporate it into, um, you know, some sort of hybrid world as things return to, you know, some level of normal. Yeah, you said it, you said it just there, you have to make it work. Mm-hmm. There's no question that you can't make it work. Yeah. And, um, and so you have to accept imperfection and you have to accept sometimes that you make a call that might be the wrong call, but that's okay. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody's feeling their way through, yeah, right? Absolutely. And, and for me, I mean, um, you know, covering this space to me, it's the after that's so interesting, you know, because I think, you know, I, I've seen firsthand the resiliency of of service organizations across a wide variety of of industries that I've talked to, and and everyone is making it work in some way to some degree, right? Um, and, and I think everyone has kind of um, stood up to that task. But what's really interesting to me is how do things land as as recovery ramps up, and and you know what will the new mix look like? Because I think the companies that have, have been agile and adopted and, and adapted and, and, you know, are doing things differently by force, you know, now have that comfort level. They're not just going to abandon, you know, those tools and go back to an all manual process or a, right. So it's, I, I, it's just going to be really interesting to see, how things, you know, net out over time. Yeah. And it's, I think one thing that's really important on that is to measure the, Mm -hmm. the, the, the changes, measure the changes that you've made Mm -hmm. um, related to COVID and, and and measure the differences between pre-COVID processes and Mm -hmm. post-COVID. And that's one thing we'll be doing with, with the recruitment process. And and we've seen efficiency gains um, Mm -hmm. because we're moving to a digital process already and we're only a a few months in. So, um, we're, we're continuing to keep an eye on it and we'll be in a position where we can take the best of the best, you know, Mm -hmm. we can take the best of both worlds at that point. And that's where, you know, the hybrid will really come into play, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, any, any final words of wisdom for our listeners? You know, I was, I was thinking about this question and you, you can really, you know, take it down a practical route or, or take it to, to like, um, I don't know, a, a different type of route. But I think for me, um, the one thing that I think is really important at the moment is to remember that it is, it's a super tough time for candidates right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a tough time for all of us. And having that empathy for our candidates and providing a great candidate experience when you're talking to them is really important. Sometimes they, they might have lost their job. They may have lost loved ones. As hiring managers and recruiters, you know, we really need to be mindful um, that all of us have other things happening in our lives that could be out of our control, mm-hmm. but could be impacting our state of mind in a given moment. Mm-hmm. So having empathy and compassion will um, 
will also help you really build trust with your candidates and will really help them shine and bring out mm. the best selves, their best selves in their hiring process. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if there's one thing that I really emphasize is just have that empathy at top mm-hmm. of mind. Absolutely. We all, we all need that right now. Right. Um, all right, Bonnie. Well, thank you so very much for, for joining today and talking through this. I, I really appreciate it. And hopefully, like I said, you'll come back at some point and, and maybe we could have a conversation about upskilling and reskilling and, and what that might look like going forward. Yeah. So. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a wonderful conversation. Always uh, happy to come back. So. Thanks again. Um, I do urge you, if you're listening and enjoyed this conversation, to go back to futureoffieldservice.com. You could check out the episode I referenced earlier with Roy Dockery of Swiss Log Healthcare. It's podcast episode number two, where we um, had a, a conversation about this topic from the service leader's perspective. Um, you could also check out some of the coverage we've done on uh, Tetra Pak's move to outcomes-based service. Um, you can just search under Tetra Pak. So check that out. You can also find us on LinkedIn as well as Twitter at The Future of FS. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more about IFS service management by visiting us at www.ifs.com. As always, thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.